This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything brandy and at least half of Richard's brain power has been up to on the 30th of December. It is a Friday. Friday following a long lunch. Right, what have we been doing this morning? Well, we've been looking at what Putin's decision to ban oil sales to countries that are imposing a price cap mean for prices in general. That's with the very sporting Nada Atayim, Middle East editor at Argus Media. We've been talking New Yearnomics with a number of hoteliers and a man who will help you get home safely. Ishrath Hassam is the co-founder and COO of the pick-you-up-drive-you-home-in-your-own-car company, Zofa. Plus, we have been looking at the very sad passing of two legends, Pele and Vivian Westwood. Do you know what? I'm probably actually wrong this morning to have called for upbeat uh, New Year's Eve music. And I think Isa's got the tone exceptionally right because people have woken up this morning to the death of not one, but two greats, haven't they? Uh, They have indeed, yes. Nadia mentioned uh, Pele there, the footballer. Are you referring to... Vivian Westwood. Ms. Westwood. I am indeed, yeah, exactly. Two shocks um, when I turned on the radio this morning. Pele... I don't even think we're saying arguably the greatest footballer of all time, three World Cups. Um, And a man who has been seen in this region before as well. Um, A very good friend of mine actually has a a photograph of himself um, shaking hands with Pelé, although Pelé is sort of grasping his his wrist in in sort of friendship. He likes to joke that it's Pelé trying to take his watch. (laughs) Um, But the two of them are sharing an absolute definite moment. It's a really, really lovely picture. Um, And because he was in Qatar when Qatar was launching its big um, sports academy there, um, he was a man who was very, and I'm not even a football fan, um, but I'm aware of the work that he did with the UN, the work that he did with charity, the work that he did um, to encourage football for you know a new a new generation. What he was for for Brazil, and if a non-football fan can can recognise the impact of all of those things beyond football, um, then there you go. Vivian Westwood as well, someone who I would argue transcended fashion. Precisely. Um, so v- Vivian Westwood, British fashion designer, died at the age of. 81 overnight, and she was most closely associated with the punk movement of the 1970s. In fact, she dated and had a child with Malcolm McLaren, who was the manager of the Sex Pistols, this band. It's not easy to cut a piece of Sex Pistols music that's suitable for the business breakfast in Dubai or 3.8 FM, but I think I've succeeded. It's brief. <laughs> And there it must end. <laughs> I've just seen she was born in the Derbyshire village of Tintwistle, which is certainly a name that could only be a British village. It is. Uh, my, my dad owns property in Tintwistle. In fact, he used to live in Tintwistle. No way. A little terraced house. Yep. Because um, it's, it's close to Manchester. It's in the, the north of England. But she was, she, was, uh, um, she, she was from the north with a strong northern accent, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. very much associated with London and the King's Road in the 1970s. Uh, Malcolm McLaren, her business partner and indeed yeah, romantic partner for a while uh, that band the sex pistols others as well but then but uh, she was a fashion designer not a musician and she you know she dressed a lot of these punk bands but then went on to have a very successful career as a slightly 
Uh, can I use the phrase avant-garde designer? Or does that age me? Yeah, completely. And again, beyond design. She drove a tank to David Cameron's house. <laughs> I saw that. And that was quite recently. It was only about six or seven years yeah. ago when David Cameron was Prime Minister in the UK. And she was, she was always an activist as well. Uh, because yeah, punk was an activist movement, anti-establishment uh, mm. a- activist movement. And I was just reading about it this morning. Was it fracking? It was the it oil was industry she was unhappy about. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it was. She was big in sort of um, climate um, justice um, and fracking. Yes, is a big part of that. And so here's this house in the countryside in the Cotswolds, and she turned up in a big white tank. Yes, <laughs> aged like seventy three or something. Yeah, yeah, this is not her as an angry twenty four year old. Right, uh, flicking through the international newspapers very briefly this morning, we've already touched on Pele and Vivian Westwood, who both died over the past twenty four hours. You've been looking at China, Brandy. I have. Yesterday we were talking about the fact that the the US, I think Malaysia, um, a number of other countries, India, Japan, um, were asking for COVID tests for for Chinese passengers because they are worried about outbreaks there. Um, The European Union um, has decided that it will not go along with Italy um, and include those uh, mandatory checks for for travellers who are coming in. But we've kind of been talking about, you know, Chinese movement as though absolutely everybody um, is ready to just, you know, jump on a plane and can't start moving around again. And I picked up a survey from Oliver Wyman purely because I think it shows that, you know, it's not that it's not that simple if you've spent three years in a zero COVID environment. And I mean, certainly, you know, New Zealand as well came out of very strict um, COVID rules and, and people had mixed feelings about it. And this survey um, is talking, it was, was doing a survey, they did a survey in China basically, um, having a look at people's willingness to move around. And they found it a lot lower than I think the media, and I include us in that, have been portraying. Uh, 90% of those surveys said they were going to avoid literally leaving the house. 60% said that they wouldn't be comfortable um, going out in you know public amongst people um, for a few months at least and only 8% said that they were fully comfortable moving around and that's not talking about leaving the country that's talking about going shopping. Wow so Chinese tourists are going to be a trickle rather than a flood from day one on January the 8th we think. We have a very large population, so it may feel like a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a flood. But China is a very large, um, a large country. So I'm, I guess I'm just pointing out that it's more nuanced. They interviewed four and a half thousand people. This is the bite sized business breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Big focus on today's show on the economics of New Year's Eve, and right now we turn our attention to logistics. Who's going to drive your car tomorrow night? Well, it could be the guys from Zofa. It's a Dubai-based technology company. It's effectively, my definition would be, it's a bit like Uber, but they don't turn up in a white Lexus. They drive your own car. It's a chauffeur service. The co-founder and chief operating officer of Zofa is Ishrat Hasmin, and he's with us in the studio. Ishrat, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So you've been going a couple of years now, Zofa, on-demand chauffeurs. New Year's Eve, busy time for you. But you've taken the decision this year that you're not going to have any on-demand chauffeurs. It's just not practical. Everything has to be pre-booked. Explain that choice. 
Well, we we experienced this last year as well. We tried to, uh, you know, keep the on-demand booking live, uh, but we we realized that it's not going to work with the road closures going on, and then everyone trying to book at the same time, uh, and obviously our chauffeurs will not be able to reach on time. So we advised or encouraged our uh, users to pre-book in advance so that, you know, they have a reserved chauffeur for the night so that they can, you know, be comfortable, you know, with, with, with the night rather than just trying to book a chauffeur and then not being able to find one. Um, Are your customers okay with that? Because 364 days a year, the point of your service is, you know, like an Uber, you've got the app, it's on demand, it's, you know, 7.30pm, you want someone to come and drive your car home, you ping a message and a, and a chauffeur turns up within about 10 minutes or something like that. Are your customers cool with having that service shut down on New Year's Eve and having to pre-book? Um, well, this is practically not possible during the New, New Year's Eve. So they do understand that this is going to be a problem and then they're comfortable with it. So, I mean, what I can say is we are fully booked already. So which means, you, you know, it, it, it really worked out and then they understand that this is going to be a challenge and then they re- did really book it. And uh, we're overbooked as of now. We don't have any further bookings that uh, we, we, we're still getting a lot of requests trying to uh, schedule it. We are like two days on to the New Year's Eve and uh, um, we are trying to see whatever we can do in order to increase the fleet um, if possible. But then, yeah, this is where we are right now. But you only have so many chauffeurs, don't you? We do. Yeah. I mean, we, we have we have a number of chauffeurs. We are into hundreds um, right now. But still, we're trying to keep the fleet up as much as possible when, during when you, the New Year's Eve. When you say the fleet, what do you mean by that? It is the, num- the, the number of chauffeurs. Okay, fine. Yeah. Because someone's got to drive the chauffeurs around. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a separate team, which is called the pickup driver team, who's, okay, who's moving these drivers around. So for New Year's Eve, what we've seen for, compared to 2021, uh, we are forex you know, of the demand that we had in uh, 2021. Because you're a so, relatively young company, aren't you? We are young, but we're growing very fast. So just for those who, who don't know Zofa, I, I do, and you've been on the show before, but give us the 30-second elev- elevator pitch. I, I gave mine of Zofa. <laughs> Describe your own company. Um, Zofa is an on-demand chauffeur platform where anyone requires a driver on demand to drive their car whenever they're not able to drive one is where we, where we come into play. It could also be just that, you know, you're not able to drive, but it could could also be when you want to move the car from A to B for any reasons whatsoever. It could be when you are not able to drive after a party or you want to just move your car to the service station or you want to, you know, send your kids to school or you just want to, you know, you want to have a driver while going to business meetings. So it could be anything, anything that can be done by a human being as a driver for all your car needs. So if you want the kids picked up from school, you'll drop someone off at my house, they'll drive that car, get the kids and bring them back or whatever it may be. Yeah, we have a lot of contracts like that. Okay, fine. How's business? The last fundraising raising I saw from Zofa was half a million dollars about this time last year. Talk to me about the finances of Zofa. Are you, are you profitable yet? What are the unit economics like? Is there a path to profitability? Yes, I mean, we are going to break even within a few months' time. Uh, that is very fast for us, uh, you know, with the with the with the age of our business, um, we're going to break even very soon. Uh, so we have path through profitability in 2023, but at the same time we're raising funds as well because we want to scale faster across the region 
mainly the rest of the st uh, states in the UAE and also to KSA. Um, we haven't we have opened up a fundraise right now. We are we're 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 going through it, and most probably within a month or two, we should we should close, and we'll be able to announce that as well. KSA is interesting uh, because you don't, without going into too much detail, that a lot of the time when I use Zofa, it's because I've been out for dinner or, or drinks and I don't want to drive my own car or I can't drive my own car. That, that, that line of business is not available in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a misconception about uh, what Zofar services is or what users would normally use it for. It's not just when you, when you want to use it after a celebration or a party. You know, you can use Zofar whenever you require a driver. Like I said, it could be just to move your car from A to B. It could be sending your kids to school. It could be just that, you know, you have a family member who doesn't have a driving license, but you have a car, a, 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 an extra car at home, and you just want a driver to drive them around. So anytime you need an on-demand driver is where we come into play. So Saudi Arabia could be a different use case for us where we have a lot of B2B partners right now. We are working with a lot of garages, a lot of gas stations where we provide a chauffeur platform, an on-demand driver platform to them whenever they want to send their, you know, cars or clients' cars back to their home or pick it up from their clients. So this is how we are trying to enter through our B2B network, who we are working with existing right, right now in Dubai, trying to move to, to Saudi Arabia with them. Okay, so in, in terms of your busy periods, clearly New Year's Eve is busy for you, but that's an exceptional, that, that's a one-off. What are typically your busy periods? Is it a Saturday night at 11 o'clock in the evening, or is it... A, Tuesday lunchtime, or, or, or is it, you know, Wednesday morning school run? What's your busy period? Well, as of now, the busiest period is actually Friday night and Saturday night, especially between 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. These are the dates. These are the two days and the timings where we are extremely busy. And, and, and how do you satisfy that demand? Because if I'm out in, I don't know, DIFC or somewhere, it doesn't matter, and I want a driver... You've got, a, you've got two teams. You've got to find me a chauffeur and you've got to find me a, a guy, your support team, to drop him off at, at DIFC from me. What's your response time like at 11 p.m. on a Friday night? Um, we started off and we started off back in, back, in, back in a year. I mean, it was around 45 minutes to one hour. And now we are reaching within 10 to 20 minutes time. So which means we have logistically located, you know, we know where the demand is coming from. We know where the pickup drivers should be should be waiting along with our chauffeurs in the cars so that we can reach as quick as possible. And in terms of fundraising, how much do you think you'll raise in 2023? Crystal ball, prediction time. <laughs> uh, we're raising 2 to $2.5 million and we're almost about to close the round. Look forward to that. Come and tell us when you've got the money. Bring your, bring your briefcase with you. <laughs> with, with the cash in it. Ishrat Hasmin is the co-founder and CEO of Zofa, chauffeur driving service. Going to be a busy night for you on New Year's Eve. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Staying with the markets now, let's get the thoughts of Jean Walters, an economist with Emirates NBD. So markets rallying overnight. Asia's looking good this morning as well. What's the big story as we head into the New Year weekend? With the week between Christmas and New Year traditionally being a quiet economic period, the factors which might move markets as we head into the final days of 2022 are likely to include any further COVID-related news out of China. 
Overnight, markets seem to have taken comfort in European officials saying that they wouldn't impose restrictions on travellers from China. On the other side of the world, there will also be some relief that US labour market data looked marginally weaker. Initial and continuing jobless claims ticked up slightly higher in their latest releases. This will spur market hopes of US rates not having to rise by quite as much as the Fed had previously indicated they might. Okay, so this week, quiet week, always is. We know that. However, Monday morning, back with a bang. Everyone is going to be up and running on Monday morning. What do you expect then? What's going to be the big story moving markets on Monday? As we move into the new year, the key economic themes are unfortunately going to remain the same, top of which will be how central banks continue to respond to inflation. There is still further monetary policy tightening in the pipeline, with the ECB, Bank of England and Fed all likely to continue raising rates in the first half of 2023. We also expect to see further declines in economic activity as several major economies enter recession. While all of that might seem depressing, the easing of Chinese COVID restrictions is likely to support global growth prospects in the second half of 2023. Jean Walters, economist at Emirates NBD. Thanks very much indeed for all your messages this morning. So many still coming in about the economics of New Year's Eve and our fireworks interview, which like you, Brandy Scott, I've had people not quite stopping me in the street, but people who I bump into saying that was a really good interview, the fireworks interview. Do you know what it is? It's transparency and numbers, isn't it? And it's telling we kind of forget that other people don't know about our own industries. And so what to Tony the fireworks man might seem quite commonplace um, to other people is fascinating. I was really interested in the fact that he said, because I was wondering how early you go and wire up a building, basically. Um, you Very is the short answer. Yeah, because, and it makes perfect sense once he said it, that... The fireworks are safer out than in, basically. You you know, the dangerous point is actually when you've got them all en masse in a warehouse as opposed to wired up to whatever pontoon or frame or building they're supposed to go off, pointing towards the sky. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. Um, so one question came in this morning. I'd like to get clarification on the number for a National Day Stroke New Year's Eve display. So Tony the Fireworks Man... Uh, real name, Tony, Tony the Fireworks Man. Tony the Fireworks Man. <laughs> so the wedding is about 100,000 dirhams. Um, a, a big corporate event is... Tony Samuel, Tony the Fireworks Sa- Man. Tony Samuel, the Fireworks Man, uh, is uh, up to about 700,000 dirhams. New Year's Eve is between three to three to nine million mm-hmm. for a kind of a really good New Year's Eve. But if you want a record-breaking New Year's Eve, he says the bill can be about... 30 million dirhams. So that's kind of your your spread. Um, and he's, he's not he's not buying them above a tailor shop in Dubai. He's no, getting them from China, Italy and Spain. But what you said about the media training was also, I thought, really interesting. We were joking earlier about the, the media training for our side of the microphone mm. um, that Rich and I did when we were making the transition from print into radio and the fact that the styles have changed. When we both did training, everyone tried to iron out your accents and make you sound like everybody else. Um, and then regional accents, about I think about two or three years after, became quite, quite cool. Um, media training also, I think, has changed. And if there's one thing we managed to do in 2023, Richard Dean, shall it be stomping out the whole idea of the old-fashioned media training where people pay good money to media trainers to get them to teach them, come in with your three bullet points and your 
corporate branding statement and, you know, these are your key messages you have to get across. Answer the question that you wish you were asked rather than the question that you have been asked. People are still charging money for that nonsense. I know. And they should, well, yeah, it should be it should be stopped. Yeah, be a spokesperson, not an answer person. Because, and, and, and you get these interviews and business breakfast listeners know. And they, they are, it's like reality radio because they know. They have a radar. Well, and we have a GPS system because we have, when we ask you to message us in on 4001 or use the WhatsApp number that none of us can remember and it's been a good month now, or download the app, those messages come up and they're brilliant because it's not just people messaging in the, um, which you'll know if you're a, you know, a frequent messenger or even a sometimes messenger. Um, it's not just answers to, to competitions, is it? It's people telling us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And it's, I mean, I use it as a form of, of GPS. Like you can tell the kind of questions people want you to ask. And that really is our job, isn't it? It's mm. to ask the question that you're driving along thinking, oh, but what about? And if we're doing it right, we're asking that exact question because we're having the same thought process at the same time as you're driving along thinking, oh, but Rich, you need to ask him. And then you magically ask him because our heads should kind of be in the same place. And one of the things that really works for that is the messaging systems that we have. Um, well, we can tell if we're on the money, if we're off the money, um, and ditto the guests. And the absolute thing that gets more, sometimes very funny, um, messages than than others is when people are literally just reiterating their three you know, main corporate talking points. Well, Richard, I'm glad you asked that, but the question you really need to be asking is... Oh, God. Yeah, and we, and we get them. And, and the PR people think that their interviewee has done a really good job. Well oh. done, you really got your messages across because they don't see the messages that we get. Yeah, they don't and, see the hate and that that, is that the, person gets. Yeah, and that's the worst bit because, you know, we're, being, we're relatively polite people on a good day and we're sitting there saying, you know, thank you very much. It was great to have you. Um, and then we watch the PR person come in and say, that was brilliant, that was brilliant. And we're just looking at the messages and thinking... Yeah, no, not so much. You have just hung your person out to dry by making them talk marketing drivel rather than answering questions. Yeah. Believe me, the hate mail comes in. You don't see it. Yeah. But it we don't ask for it, but it comes in. And, and similarly, when it's a great interview, like Tony the Fireworks guy, we get the messages saying he was brilliant, he was great, and you get them throughout the next couple of days, people telling, oh, I really like the Fireworks guy. It happens. Yeah, and there's, I mean, we've got a bunch of people like that. And George, again, is the other example that you've used this morning. And I had some of George's competitors saying to me how much they enjoyed his interview and, you know, the respect they have from in the industry because he's quite transparent and he says what's going on. Yeah. Because that's the other thing, not dressing it up. Exactly. I'm charging 5,000 dirhams a person for Nando's on New Year's Eve because I can. Yeah. Quite. Yeah. (laughs) you go. Not apologising for it. It's business. And we all would if we could. So that is our um, new our New Year's wish: is 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 more people who who come in with facts, come in with numbers, and tell us what's going on. Exactly. If you missed the fire, Tony the Fireworks guy, and a few questions coming in for clarification, it's available on yesterday's bite-sized business breakfast podcast. And we. 
popped so it you, up on LinkedIn as well. Oh, it's on LinkedIn as well. So you can watch it on the Dubai Eye LinkedIn page uh, if you want a clarification on those numbers. Um, the other thing that Tony the Fireworks guy talked about was uh, Tony the Drone guy. Are <laughs> drones going to destroy your business in the way that cars destroyed the horse-drawn cart? We're not really too bothered about that. There's an intrinsic feeling that you feel on your heart, the, the percussive effect, the smell, the burst. Fireworks are... are there's something that happens here compared to drones. The cost of drones as well is far, far higher than fireworks. For example, to, to send one drone up into the sky that you see, perhaps two, three thousand drones you'll see, each one will be two, three hundred dollars. And compared to fireworks, this is a very, very high cost. Environmental impact of drones as well is, is a big issue. The amount of energy required to send a drone of swarm, a swarm of drones into the sky is, is phenomenal. So Tony the Fireworks guy says fireworks are better than drones. <laughs> but he would say that, wouldn't he? Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are joined from Vienna this morning by Nada Itayam, who is the Middle East editor um, at Argus Media. He is our energy expert this morning. Nada, it's lovely to speak to you. Thanks for getting up early for us. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm going to start off by asking you what the weather is like because of course it impacts demand which therefore impacts energy prices it's cold as you can imagine um but it's it's not it's not unexpected it is cold i have to i have to admit well you are in europe which is one of the areas um that is directly affected by putin's announcement that there will be a ban on oil sales to countries that are following um, a recent price cap announced by the g7 by the australians and by eu as well what does it mean for europe in particular how much oil does europe actually buy from russia well, at the moment, it doesn't buy very much. As you know, I mean, over the last few months, Europe has really tightened down in terms of how much they take from Russia. So if we look at the decree that was sort of passed a few days ago, if we try to see what the impact really will be on Europe, I'd say at the moment, um, it's not going to be, you have to look at it in terms of two sides. So there's volumes on the volume side, there isn't going to be a massive um, impact there on the crude side, because obviously Europe has stopped taking uh, seaborne crude. But where it will see an impact is if we do see an impact on, say, price, that's going to obviously impact consumers in Europe. And obviously, there's also the the cost side of things. So um, with uh, Europe not really able to take from take crude from Russia anymore, they're having to sort of source from other further away countries. Uh, so in this case, Europe is now taking more from the Middle East. So the costs have gone up for these countries in terms of trying to actually bring in more energy. So there is that as well. Um, but obviously, there's also the product side of things, which is is we're, we're expected to see the ban on uh, seaborne products coming in soon as well. Not quite yet, but in February, that could also complicate matters as well. Right. So give me um, then uh, an idea of how much of an impact this ban is likely to have on prices. Okay. So as this is a general thing, uh, what impact is going to have? I mean, we have to look at this. I think it's it's good to look at this in terms of two things. So one, how successful is this ban going to be in terms of what the EU and what the G7 and what you know the US and Australia want this to achieve? And obviously also how Russia is going to, you know, how Russia is going to respond to this. In terms of how it's going to, what the impact's going to be, it is still very, you know, early days. Uh, in terms of the ban that came in and the price cap, we haven't really seen that much of an impact yet. 
uh, in terms of volumes on that side. Now, in terms of what Russia is going to do, Russia came out with this decree. So it gives us a bit of a hint as to how you know it's going to respond. But in, if you if you look at what the um, what the decree said or how it was phrased, it does it does kind of leave Russia with a little bit of leeway in terms of how it's going to move forward with this. Yes, it said it's not going to sell to any countries that are actually abiding by this uh, by the by these you know this cap. But it, it was saying that before, and they have sort of put in a few words there to sort of give themselves a bit of leeway in terms of exemptions, or we could even see this um, you know this response change over the course of the next week, few weeks or months, depending on how things work for them. Um, and we heard in the past that Russia was potentially thinking about, you know, cutting back production if if required. And we heard, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think, from the deputy prime minister that we could see uh, production go down maybe between 500 and 700,000 barrels per day. This idea that Russia is going to actually have to reduce production, it's been talked about quite a bit. If you listen to analysts, different analysts and their own predictions, you'll see quite a variance. I mean, the Russians have said 500, 500 700,000 barrels per day. Um, OPEC itself said about 850,000 barrels per day. The IEA, which has been a little bit on the higher side, has said a 1.4. So, you know, it's, it's still early days. We're going to have to see how that goes, but obviously, the more of an impact there is on that side and supply is cut, you could see uh, prices rise. Talk to me about those exemptions that have, as you say, been been written into this presidential decree. Um, what's your thinking about what's behind it? Is it designed to encourage countries to maybe move away from the cap or to give Russia some, some flexibility if it needs the income? Honestly, I think it's more about the flexibility than anything else. I mean, the, the reason why Russia has sort of maneuvered the choppy waters the last few months really has been the likes of China and India who have not only continued to take Russian oil but actually increased volumes, right? So um, the big question mark during the negotiations around this cap was how are they going to react? How are these two countries going to respond? Are they going to, you know, abide or are they just going to continue buying as they have been? So I think think this kind of, this, this idea of exemption will allow um, Russia and Putin to actually allow these countries to continue buying without making too much of a fuss. It allows them to continue selling their crude, um, and and you know the, the relationships there don't get damaged. Um, as of now, obviously, um, Russian euros have been have been uh, trading at below the sixty dollar per barrel cap, so there hasn't really been much of an impact. So the really, the the trouble, so to speak, would would uh, would creep up if and when prices do rise to beyond that level. Okay, well, let's look at China very much in the headlines this week. A lot more movement, but also a lot more cases. What's winning out there for the oil markets? More demand or a concern about what could be uh, the impact of those of those increasing cases? I'll be honest, it's a very, very tricky one to try and figure out here because, as you say, we're hearing all the news about them, you know, opening up, about the lockdowns being dropped, and and you know, they recently announced this this whole kind of loosening of restrictions when it comes to travel as well. So in theory, yes, we we, we are seeing an opening up, and in theory, an opening up would mean demand increasing. But at the same time, you're seeing COVID cases rising just through the roof, the levels we've never seen before. So I think if you're trying to look at the midterm, you can. I think it's fair to say that that. 
oil demand is going to recover there over the next few months, but it's, it's not going to be something immediate. I think we might see it take a bit more time than would have other, we would have otherwise expected, simply because it's not as simple and clear cut as, you know, um, people are now back in the street and things are going back to normal. There are still sort of, the supply chains need a bit of time to clear up as well. So it, it's human psychology, but also the, the supply chain uh, logistics. They're, they're gonna suggest that we're gonna wait, maybe it wouldn't be first quarter that we'd see things kind of return, maybe second quarter, third quarter. I think that's more likely. Okay, we've got one minute left with you. Nada, quickly, what is your outlook for 2023? What's going to be shaping the market and where are we going with price? Uh, well, I think we've touched on the two main main, main, uh, main issues here. I honestly think that Russia is the big one and, uh, and, and so is China. Um, with the price, honestly, you could make a case for price going either way right now. Um, and uh, OPEC Plus has a tricky few months ahead of it to see how it's supposed to react. But if I had to sort of say which one has more of a case, I'd probably say that there's there's more of a case for prices rising in the short term, uh, you know, early next year rather than falling. Nader Aitayam, Middle East editor at Argus Media, speaking to us very sportingly this morning from Vienna. Thank you for waking up and talking to us. We appreciate your time. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.